Welcome to the From Battle to Business podcast. In this podcast, business coach and fellow veteran Dean Van Dyke will bridge the gap between service and civilian life, helping guide veteran business owners to supercharge their business and unlock hidden profits. You wouldn't go into battle alone, and now you don't have to in business. Let's get to it. This is From Battle to Business with your host, Dean Van Dyke, and today I'm excited to have William Yeske on the show today. Will's a combat veteran who served 11 years in the U.S. Army. He's also the author of a book called Damn the Valley, which is a fantastic book and I highly recommend, as well as a serial entrepreneur. He currently runs and operates a marketing company called No Limits Marketing Group, founded to help small businesses thrive. It uses a combination of modern marketing techniques coupled with a targeting framework that he learned within the military to provide clients with winning strategies. Will was also a founding member of the veteran nonprofit Rally for the Troops, now part of Racing for Heroes, and has worked on other veteran-based projects. So let's get to it. Well, good afternoon, folks. Welcome back. This is From Battle to Business with your host, Dean Van Dyke. And today I'm fortunate to have Will Yeske. Will's a combat veteran who served 11 years in the United States Army and is a serial entrepreneur. Welcome, Will. How are you doing, Dean? It's great to be here. I'm doing fantastic, actually, and hope Hopefully you're doing the same as well as the audience. Um, ah, a little sniffly today, but hey, you know what? We're here. We're above ground. That's what matters, right? I'm looking down. You know, it's funny you mentioned that. We had a World War II vet. Unfortunately, he's no longer with us, but he lived to 101 years old. And he oh, told me man. one day, he said, you know, I said, how you doing? And Earl looked at me and he goes, you know what? I'm looking down at the grass versus up. And that has always stayed with me. And so... <laughs> I'm looking down at the grass. Well, actually carpet, but you know, I'll be looking down at right. the grass later. So any day above ground's a good one. <laughs> That's right. Every day's a holiday and every meal's a banquet. Um, so in 60 seconds or less, tell us who Will is. Oh man. I mean, I could just keep the short version. Will's me. Uh, you know, and you you already <laughs> told me you were gonna go through the the long version <laughs> of the bio there, but I guess you know, Will uh Will Yeski's an adrenaline junkie and um you know, I mean, I like to get after it. I'm a driven person. And I would say is now after going through something like this and due to the added space that the military put in there is, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I've got that foundational habit and that resilience built in as well as the discipline to make it happen. Amazing. Awesome. So you spent 11 years. Um, I know you were in the 82nd Airborne, so that means you love to jump out of perfectly good airplanes. Um, yeah. What made you want to join the military? So I actually felt the the call to serve when I was 18, but I didn't end up joining right off the bat. I ended up uh, kind of getting talked out of it by the parents. They mm. were like, hey, you know what? We know you want to join the Marine Corps and you're gung-ho at it. But, you know, they kind of dangled that college carrot in front of me. Mm -hmm. And quite honestly, in, in everything that I've been through and everything that I've gone through in the long run, one of the lessons I learned was to listen to what your, you know, that intuition is telling you, mm -hmm. because quite honestly, at the time in my life, you know, I'm glad things panned out the way they did. But at that time in my life, I really needed the discipline. And that's what things were telling me was like, hey, man, like you have a lot of drive, you have motivation mm -hmm. to do stuff. But my my uh, nickname growing up was Wild Bill. And that definitely <laughs> stuck. I mean, it even stuck in the in the military career going on, you know, <laughs> nice. And so sure I was the wild man. Love that. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> basic training was a little bit more of a, all right don't be too much of the forefront and whatnot but yeah i um i stuck out like a sore thumb <laughs> yeah so basic training was that fort benning 
That was Benning. Yes. Okay. That's called something different now, but I think it was Fort Benning. Uh, more. I, Fort I Moore. After, yeah. Yes. After Hal Moore. Yep. Yes. So tell us a little bit about your, let's see. So your infantry. So that's 11 series, right? Yes. 11, 11 Bravo with that Bravo. parachuter okay. identifier. And that, that kind of ended up because I, I came in the military on a special forces contract. You know, it okay. was a, one of those fast pipeline things. And then I ended up getting hurt during it. And as I was in Medhold, I had just gotten there and they cut everybody from the program. Oh. And I was like, that was in Medhold. You know, there was like 400 plus kids there, you know, and I was like, hey, but I just, and they're like, doesn't matter. Get out of here. You know, across the street you go and uh, over to 4th Brigade because they were deploying and ended up with Bravo Company 2 Fury. All right. So when you, so with the the book, Damn the Valley, um, mm -hmm. Tell us about your experience and, but I'd love for you to tell us why you wrote the book. Okay. So really, oh man, it's all, it's all just mixed in between, you know, it's this particular group of guys that I signed in with and ended up, you know, my first combat experience with this mm -hmm. was, you know, that deployment right off the bat there for me. Um, I mean, the whole thing. You, you look at it and when you look at this book, it's a, it's a whirlwind, you know, and it's got so much stuff in there to where I've talked to guys. There were so many instances that are built into this thing. And they're like, wait, hold on. This is just a year. This is the same deployment. <laughs> you know, it was, it was a wild ride. You know, the first portion of it, we ended up in Helmand province. And the whole reason why we ended up there was, uh, it was the next group out to Afghanistan you okay. know, or out, out to be deployed. We were actually originally slated for Iraq. So we were going to be going that, you know, we trained a lot of CQB, you know, and it was building clearing and mm -hmm. a lot of kinetic type operations. And then all of a sudden it was, Hey, guess what? Executive orders have been signed by president Obama. We're going as part of the surge to Afghanistan as an advisor and oh. assist. And I was like, what? <laughs> so we ended up, uh, up and down the highway in Helmand as our battalion commander tried to get us a kinetic type mission. And he was trying to get us into the Battle of Marja. That didn't happen. The U.S. Marines and the British didn't want us there. Okay. Um, just, they were like, you know, hey, we don't, I think the British words were, we don't need a bunch of paras mucking about the on the battlefield. You know, they thought that we were a bunch of cowboys. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so our uh, battalion commander had been uh, an aide to General McChrystal at one point in his career. And that's the ISAF commander at the time. Mm -hmm. And he went to him and was like, hey, I need a battle space for these guys. I got some some hungry paratroopers ready for a fight. Where can they be best used? They're not doing anything going up and down the highway in Helmand. And that's how we ended up replacing um, 117 strikers out of uh, Fort Lewis, actually. That was uh, Colonel okay. Harry Tunnell's um brigade and there's a there's a whole thing about that it was a pretty controversial deployment on their end and um we ended up going to the Argandab river valley which was just a completely completely different situation there you have you know i mean you can see a little bit in the background here you've got the mountains you've got uh villages underneath there's it's muddy 
there's uh limited visibility. So, I mean, a lot of it was orchard to orchard unless okay. you took the surrounding farmer fields to where you could get a little bit of standoff, but every compound was walled off. So, I mean, they could be peeking through holes in the walls, mm -hmm. um, you know, and using spotters to set off IEDs, which that was primarily what our fight ended up being was they realized, Hey, we're, we're not going to take these guys in a one-on-one -on -one fight. So let's pull out and let's just lay in a ton of landmines. Oh, wow. And yeah, they did a uh, survey in 2012 and I can't remember the name of the, of um, the Colonel that did, it. I want to say it was someone from either 10th mountain or Rangers, but it was estimated. That was like every 200 meters. There was an IED. Wow. Yeah, it was just to be able to go there and then come out of there with my legs is bad. And I'm like, man, like how we had a 52% casualty rate. And that's really why. I mean, at one point, the prosthetics word in Walter Reed was full of our guys. So it was just, yeah, it was absolutely crazy. So the, <clears throat> so what was it? So when you were there, so 12 month combat tour. Now, did you go back for additional tours? Uh, after that one, honestly, so after that one, I went back to the SF pipeline kind of for my second chance and passed SFAS. So that's okay. their, the qualified, you know, into the qualification course mm -hmm. and then ended up in the Q course for two years, bounced out at the end, um, started getting down on myself, ended up going over to the civil affairs side of the house. Okay. And learn that skill set. So I was like, all right, going to stay within the special operations community and then maybe try back out for one of the other, either the special missions unit or um, go back over towards the uh, SF side to earn the green beret. And ended up bouncing back out of civil affairs <laughs> towards the very end. The end of my career is like the eight, the last eight months I ended up back in the 82nd. Okay. Um, and never ended up going going back out to any of those places, which mm, you know, it's not a bad draw, which is really ah, I mean, it was my goal. I really let you have to look at garrison versus deployment. Oh, I, I was really yeah, I know the difference. I was, <laughs> yeah. I yeah. loved being out there, you know, and it really made me feel like I was out there doing something on the ground for the people that were there, especially for how things went. You know, it wasn't the greatest of things in the valley, but more recently, it was um, there was something I posted up one of the mountain villages up on one of the Reddit boards, actually, and somebody contacted me and they're like, hey, that's my home village. And I was like, really? Uh -huh. I'm like, uh, what years were you there? And he was like, we left in 2012. And he explained the reason I was talking about before. They evacuated the valley in 2012 from civilian populace and they pretty much carpet bombed the place. Um and there's there's a whole article about it. It was like they destroyed five villages out of the place just because it was so saturated and they could uh, not differentiate. Uh, yeah, they couldn't differentiate fighters between the population. It was just so ingrained and they were just like, this this is nuts. Like we need to pull everything back, build a wall, cut movement. Um, so this is a complete wild situation out there. But this guy knew certain details and it come to find out he was one of the kids that would meet us on the patrols halfway up um, oh. in one of the mountain villages and stuff. And I knew exactly he knew where he could describe it. And I was like, man, nobody else knows that information. And he's in New York. You know, it was so cool 
to hear that from that and he's like i remember right. you guys and stuff and in a good way in a fond way you know right, it was right. pretty pretty amazing that's amazing i mean it small world right it's you know just with technology and everything the the possibilities are so endless you know you have even with when we were pulling out of afghanistan civilians within the digital dunkirk movement and stuff piecing together intelligence assets and pictures guiding people through these various uh, loopholes and stuff in the gates. Hey, you need to mm -hmm. move towards this section. There's not people here. And to see that, and that was actually, I ended up talking to someone recently, uh, Michael Cook. He has a book coming out. I think it's mid-month here called Life and Death at Abbey Gate. And it talks about, you know, the evacuation process and some of these mm -hmm. organizations that dealt with that. And I actually had to talk with him because I was building in bots into the social campaign because I have, I've had like Afghan refugees and stuff reach out through this project and have seen these pictures on social and be like, Hey, can you help us? We're in Pakistan or we're in Europe oh, about wow. to be deported back. Like that's a death sentence for us. So I've been building stuff in to be like as quickly as it can, if it catches that, it'll be like, Hey, you need to talk to these organizations. Here's your evacuation forms to start the vetting process and everything. And it's, it's been so rewarding, like during this whole thing. I'm sure, you know, just the different avenues that have opened up. It's been so cool. Well, I know I've <clears throat> followed various folks on social media and just the work that they did as we left the country. Unfortunately, um, I mean, my brother served in Vietnam. Too. One brother actually served in Vietnam. The other one served during that time. Yeah, and. <clears throat> I'm actually, he, we lost him due to Agent Orange in, in, in cancer. I'm mm. actually glad he didn't see that because yeah, we have in our veterans of foreign wars post here, uh, you know, I hear our Vietnam vets talk about it. We've got some Iraq and Gulf, you know, and Afghanistan vets and, and <clears throat> just to hear the, I mean, everybody saw the pictures, right. Of how we, yeah you know oh man just that brutal like i think in an interview he actually put it this way and it, it hit so hard when he said this is like you know he remembers and we all do too i mean most anybody our age and stuff you remember seeing that footage on tv with people jumping from the towers mm -hmm. oh yeah but then this war is ending with people falling from you aircraft know, fuselage and, and feel yeah and from yeah landing gear and that's planes. and it's and, just so sad yeah. We could do a whole show on that exit <clears throat> and how it was. Never mind. I'm going to let that one go. <laughs> I well, you know what? I I, I want to say is like with within all that is that the the thing to look at is really the the positive end of the that people and it's sad that it's not our government, but that the people that fought in these wars and the people that are trying to do some good are mm -hmm. able to do that through these networks and stuff that we've built up through there. And it's, it's exciting to see other veterans that are doing that end of things. And it's, and it's an exciting time to see that type of leadership being put mm -hmm. out there. And that's, you know, I mean, that's really, I end the book that way about a call to action. Like you guys have seen leadership within the military at one time or another, oh, yeah. you know, it might not have always been there, but you know what right looks like. Mm -hmm. And it's up to you to take that sort of thing to your community and show them and it's, it might be as simple as coaching you know your girls soccer team or something like that and showing them how to stand up 
or how to take a hit or how to push through. And it's that simple stuff and putting forward those lessons and those disciplines mm -hmm. that you learned um, in a time where America needs leadership more than ever. That we do. Yeah. I coached little league and umpired for many years. And that was, uh, you get that. That was, it is. Uh, it's rewarding. It is. It, can it be. is. It is very rewarding. Um, and I coached my son too, uh, which, you know, leadership, I mean, is, you know, my son's, <clears throat> he's in the, he, well, he's been in, I think over 10 years now, currently serving as a major with the uh, first armored in El Paso, Fort Bliss. Okay. And, uh, yeah. So, and we talk about leadership all the time and what it looks like. And, and it's just, it is interesting how leadership in the military has evolved and some and not in a good way. And, yeah. and then there's, you know, I served on active duty in the Navy and then I also served eight years as in the army part-time. So I saw the different levels of leadership. And so what you know, you, you witnessed at the end of our engagement in Afghanistan was leaders stepping up to get the people out that helped them survive mm -hmm. while they were there. And it was just, yeah. it was amazing to read the stories and they're still doing it. It's just, you know, um, it's just amazing to, to hear what you guys have done and, and continue to do to help those that helped you. And, um, I know my son's, uh, interpreter was killed. Um, I think it was either shortly after he left or, or very, very soon after he left. But, um, well, so getting back to the book, you, you obviously being 11 Bravo, you're on a patrol. sounds like you were light infantry. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> Which so we all guys, know light in infantry is anything, but <laughs> uh, I know, I know. <laughs> um, I've had to dig the the foxhole with the entrenching tool. Yeah, so I get it. Um, yeah. So what was it like leading soldiers into combat? I mean, so at that time, I wasn't leading them into combat. Okay. You know, I was I was one of the, the Joes. That's what kind of brings this one a little different out there. I was one of the enlisted guys. Uh, I was actually, so in Helmand province, I was just a machine gunner, you know, oh. and over in the Argandab, I was the RTO, so radio telephone operator, which is really what I wanted to do the whole time anyway. Um, my goal was to be a special forces 18 echo, okay. which is the same thing. That's their combo guy. Um, yep. I have a little bit of a nerd side, you know, I, I scored well in the hold, you know, I, I don't know what those scores actually mean, uh, but they're like, man, this guy has such a high GT score. I'm like, I mean, the, the ASFAB is not a hard test, but okay. I didn't think it was, I'm sure it hasn't changed yeah. much. No, I'm sure. I, well, th there was one thing that was taken out of the test that I asked about. So when I had taken the ASVAB back when I was 18, there was a coding section. And I actually really enjoyed that. Oh, and I scored really well on it because the Marines had wanted me to be a, uh, I joke, but they wanted me to be a um, ground satellite operator technician. And I'm like, okay. what the heck does that mean? But then after my time in service and like having to set up the SAT can mm -hmm. and stuff, I'm like... That was literally just an RTO. They wanted me to do the same dang job. <laughs> yeah, it's um I was a comma guy. And so I okay. our comma was a bit different, I think, than what you guys had. Um probably but yeah, 90s, so, right? <laughs> uh yeah, it was uh well actually the late eighties. 
Uh, okay. In mid nineties. Uh, and uh, I got out in 2000. Uh, so did my 14 years and um, yeah, our, our comma was the, you know, the wonderful wire uh, with the telephone. Yes. And then we also had the, you just probably spark <laughs> that's true that that worked <laughs> yes um you know and then we had the i'll say it correctly the prc 77 which is your that's what you carried uh dismounted yep. so yeah i've had the wonderful antenna flapping behind me you know just hey you know here i am i'm a target so just don't shoot the battery please yeah but, yeah, yeah. So. that was uh i mean kind of the same situation with you know so carrying the asip out there as well as uh because i think we had harris 152s at the time okay but um well it went from the ace up and then it changed to uh we, we had a 117 golf which pretty much looked it was the same size of an as an ace at least it wasn't that the huge fox man man pack kind of there but uh, it was the first digital signal one so it was supposed to reach out further and I'm telling you right now, the the different walls that they had separating and the iron content that was out there, it didn't matter. You were past 150 yards or past line of sight of, you know, your place. You had to put the whole 15 foot long whip up, you know, and even wow. then, if you were a mile. Oh, yeah, it was bad. That is bad. Camo out there was so bad. So, like, it literally ended up being to where my most important job was to make sure that that radio was up as quickly like i could get that thing up as quickly as possible to put out nine lines wow. you know or or to sit rep you know because as we would move along again the amount of saturation of how many mines were out there i had to constantly be calling up our position oh sure because we kind of had it uh we had an sop to where it was like all right when you spin up that nine line, just originally send my last front line trace because it's going to be within like 100 to 200 meters of my last one. And that's close enough for us to signal the bird. Oh. Um, yeah. So we just started, you know, thinking outside the box. That was a lot of what this is, you know, between the the commo stuff, you know, and getting the whoever was manning the talk, like they'd had a board up mm -hmm. and stuff. And we were fortunate enough to get... Uh, the PJ guys would come out of Kandahar. So Pedro 66, and I want to say it was 54 was one of them. Um, and through writing this and finding out things later on, like guys like Pedro 66 were some of the ones that got shot down, you know, oh. over the time there. So as I'm unfolding all these different casualties and the list is growing as I'm going along, I'm just like, some of this is heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. And then finding out there's a scene in the end to where, in Kandahar, I go into the shack on the flight line to, you know, say thank you to the crews that were there. And I went in and I said something to the chief and they kind of look and they had this weird look about them. And they were just like, well, they're not, they're not around here anymore. And I just figured the way they said it is that they, you know, had gone back stateside. Their oh, tour sure. duty was over. Yep. I'm like, oh man, well, if you guys want to send something their way, like said, tell them thanks from Bravo company. But it was later on that I find out that, no, they they had gone down like they had uh -huh. been shot down. And, you know, to hear that and to start just seeing the effects of just how many people were mm -hmm. lost and even in our own ranks, you know, we were the area was saturated enough to where this book is from a, the first platoon's view. And that was all because uh, we were separated. Uh, we had to operate independently. You know, we did platoon sized compounds mm -hmm. because 
the area was so saturated that the CEO had to have us. Um, we took Cop Johnston. We were originally at Cop Ware with HQ, but then we ended up switching to Cop Johnston. And then one of the other ones was pushed out to what became Cop Brunkhorst, which is where the um, cover picture of the book comes from, which is the flag being pulled out of the rubble. And that's a that's an actual picture that was snapped after a um, the enemy drove a thousand pound vehicle bomb trying to I mean they did they flattened the compound the guys were staying in from second platoon mm. um, and buried a bunch of guys alive you know I mean over fifty percent of the guys that were stationed there were evac'd for different TBIs and different injuries a lot of them came back. But they saw the the flag there underneath the rubble, and they were like, it just didn't sit right. And a few of them got together, and they pulled that flag out, and they hoisted it back up, you know, over over nice. the rubble as they're as they're clearing it out, you know, in this message of, hey, you know, you can knock us down, but we're getting back up. You know, this is, I guess, as the old World War II poster says, there, this is the eighty second, and this is as far as the bastards are going. <laughs> Very true. I mean, that's, um, the flag is, yeah, it represents well, so much. <clears throat> and with that and on how much that particular flag and that picture means to so many of the guys, mm -hmm. that was one of the biggest things with bringing this project together was that, so as these guys are talking about it, you know, one of the guys, Brian Erickson reached out to me and he said, Hey Bill, I, I have that flag. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, and he's like, we, I brought it back from the battlefield with us. I recovered the flag. Can we use this in this project at all? And that's when I called the uh, Airborne and Special Operations Museum down in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Mm -hmm. And just one thing after another with this project, just crazy stuff. The curator, the actual curator of the museum picks up the phone. So that doesn't happen. Normally it's a front desk uh, person. Yeah. And he, I guess he was just passing by. So I go into this elevator pitch like right away of what, what I have, what I'm trying to do with it. Mm -hmm. And then I couldn't get a hold of people in the unit. And that when we came back from this deployment, there was actually a ceremony and a paver out front with the men's name that we lost from that deployment from the battalion, like engraved in some pavers out front. And he damn near dropped the phone. Uh -huh. Like it just was like, a you could hear a pin drop. And I'm like, hey, are you, you know, I thought he had hung up or something. You know, I'm like, are you still there? And he just like in this, he's like, you have no idea. He's like, I've been waiting for this phone call. And through a little bit of tears and through a little bit of emotional oh, sure. time and stuff, we ended up, you know, coming to something to where guys were just, they just started outpouring on stuff. Like there's articles or artifacts from these stories that are now housed as part of the DOD historical collection, like for perpetuity, like wow. families of the people that were involved there can go down there. They can have this thing on their shelf, but they can go down there. People can see that flag. They can see things that were from these stories, the proof of it. And mm. really like, not only can they read about this and they can see it through some of the social media, you know, I've been posting for over a year now, um, with pictures that these guys sent in, you know, this is, I didn't have anything but a few grainy Facebook pictures. Um, and the guys stepped up and they, we created a share drive and there's like thousands of pictures on there Wow! that it's just been such a, a rewarding and such a good 
thing for so many of the guys because they're seeing i'm seeing this stuff up on there i post this stuff up on there and then i see the comments in them and i see the guys starting to talk and interact mm -hmm. with one another in the background and it's just it's amazing to see i'm sure it's got to be very healing as well it is, i mean and with some of this that's some of the some of the things have come up like to where people that are reading it that were there are like hey man like I don't know what's going on, but I, I've got some cravings and I've got, I'm actually getting some smells from the battlefield mm. and in talking with uh, some of the psychologists and stuff that I know, finding out the reasons behind this. And it's that they're literally facing these traumas again, mm -hmm. you know? So I know one of the things like for me is that that worried me on the way of like, all right, like, should I be scared there? And like, no, it just means that they're actually opening up to this stuff again. And right. a lot of those guys, they have, they've come back with a, you know, after our interviews or our talks and stuff, I feel like a burden's been lifted or mm -hmm. I feel like this is just a really good thing. Um, so it's, it's been good. It's been so rewarding. That's awesome. I mean, it's, um, <clears throat> you know, it's the, the healing that takes place when you go through such a traumatic circumstance, you know, and there's we talk about PTSD, we talk about veteran suicide. And, and so to hear that, you know, the, the troops that you served with and what you guys are doing, the book, I mean, <clears throat> you know, I, I lost a, <clears throat> a good friend, my mentor in the Navy to suicide. And so it, it was really, you know, just realizing <clears throat> the impact of, of yeah. our service and what we're exposed to. And, and I, I, I was in law enforcement as well. And so, uh, you know, the things you see, the things you don't want to remember, um, mm -hmm. you know, we just, we need to process that stuff. And it was, uh, <clears throat> yeah. And it's, it's an ongoing process. I mean, we, you know, you mentioned the smells, you know, I, I've, you know, I've heard that before. You know exactly what I'm and talking I, about. I know what you're talking yeah. about. I know, yep. you know, <clears throat> it was just the, yeah. And there's, there's sometimes that, you know, the, the vivid images and stuff that you, you <clears throat> don't want to see again, but you do. And, yeah. and then you, you know, you find ways to process that. And I, I talk with, um, one of our veterans in our post and he was a platoon leader in Vietnam and, and, you know, and we talk and, and it's, um, you know, and he's still processing some of that stuff, you know, what, 50 yeah. decades or five decades, six decades later. And I have, I, mean, to, I have to ask you, like, how does it, how does it seem to you when he's talking about this stuff? Does it seem like a distant memory or no, no, yeah. no, okay. it's not even, you know, and, and, and it's, I talked to, it's interesting listening to their stories. Uh, we have a mix of Air Force, Army, no Marine Corps, believe it or not, uh, and then Navy. Um, and just listening to the different stories that they talk about and how they, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of them were um, pilots. Uh, we had a Huey uh, chopper pilot. We've, you know, we had a platoon leader um, and just hearing where they were and and then uh, it's just it's it's so fascinating but it's like they remember the details 
Yeah, that's that's actually one of the things with and again talking with some of the psychology teams and stuff, tracking back like, all right, so one of my things was why have I always been able to talk about this stuff without, mm -hmm. you know, why do I feel like I wasn't really affected? You see people like getting emotional and everything else. Mm -hmm. But it was strange because after I started writing this, it was like life slowed down enough for me to actually process yeah, what had happened. And there's been, there was chapters to where it was just tears were flowing. And I was like, I can't stop writing this because I know that this emotion end is going to transfer over. Mm -hmm. And some of these, whew, some of these is probably no way I could actually read that stuff out loud. So, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of, I did offer because the guys were like, you better be the one reading it. So I offered the, the audiobook people, I was like, I'll, I'll read it for free, but I'm kind of at the same time relieved that they mm -hmm. weren't like, Oh, took take me up on it. You know, just because with those traumas, if you can't process it, mm -hmm. that literally is like your every day. Some of right. these guys, they wake up and that is their every day is re hashing over things that happen and that's why I, I feel like we have guys that are hyper vigilant or that anger issues mm -hmm. and i mean i don't it's different for everybody you know and how it affected them or how they're dealing with it or their coping mechanisms but it is important to get past and you know and process that trauma and understand it because if you don't you're always going to be stuck in that same place right and it's very tough i mean you can't move on right you just i mean you're stuck and yeah so You've transitioned from military to civilian life. Uh, tell us a little bit about that transition and what you're up to now. <laughs> That's just been the the bang, boom, pow end of things. I mean, it is. So 2015 is when I left, left active okay, and went over to the reserve side, did um, three years of civil affairs, uh, stayed, stayed airborne as well. So, hey, <laughs> there you go. Um, I know. Right. But they ended up, so I got my VA stuff back like six months after I in process there. And before I even had a chance to jump with them, I got deadlined because I had a bunch of stuff come back from the VA to where they were like, Hey, you should have been medically retired. And I'm like, wait, what? No. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess there's just a whole bunch of underlying like musculoskeletal and everything else. So I kind of stayed, stayed on in a training type capacity with the reserves for the time there. But during that time, went into, you know, on, I went back to school sort of mm -hmm. as a buffer because things just were not working out, you know, civilian side. So used the GI Bill, went back, did business school in two and a half years, did a little bit of, uh, did a certificate program with Cornell and then went on. And more recently, I'd actually just finished up with Columbia Business School uh, with one of the executive programs that they had over there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's just... It's kind of been as a, a project to to show the other guys too, as well as myself. Like you, you can push yourself to go so far beyond what you ever, ever thought, mm -hmm. you know, was possible. And like during this whole thing, you also have to. Man, I've got two littles growing up. I've got a wife. She was in in nursing school, and I'm like supporting the family on that end. So I mean, it's it's been a whirlwind, but it's it's been, I guess, invaluable taking those habits that I learned in the military and those frameworks. Mm -hmm. and taking to the routine and integrating the discipline to do what needs to be done. And it it's just proven to myself that, you know, as well as a few other people, you, you're meant for more. I really feel like veterans are made, they're made for business out there. They're made to be, you know, a little bit more resilient. 
and they're mm-hmm. they're meant to lead. I couldn't agree more. And uh, so as we uh, land this plane, a, a perfectly good one, I might add, rather than jump out of it. <laughs> uh, tell us uh, what funny stories do you have that, you know, you brought back with you from your time, from your deployment in Afghanistan? Oh my gosh. I mean, there's, there's one of them in there. Uh, how, how family, uh, <laughs> how family uh, appropriate should we keep it, this one? It, you probably should keep it as family appropriate as possible. I'd have to go change my rating in Appleite in Apple tune. So, all right. So I guess we'll stick with one of them then on just to where like certain, certain things happen that are just funny that stand out in a firefight. And one of them was, um, you know, to where you never know how you're going to react. Okay. Right. Like when the bullets start flying. So you're asking before on, you know, I guess this one would also be applicable to your other question there with not so much as leading men in a firefight, but how was combat, mm-hmm. you know, and we were coming into an orchard and these guys had these tarps laid out and what they were literally doing was they were shaving their bodies to suit up suicide vests and go in and blow themselves up. Oh. And we came up on this and they grabbed their AKs up and started shooting at us. And one guy that I just would have never thought, you know, we're not mentioning names here, but I just would have never thought this would have happened. You know, he just seemed to be super squared away, strong guy, really level headed, beeline in the other way, just boom. <laughs> and the, you know, his team leader grabbed him by that drag handle and like threw him up on the line and was like, in there you wow. know and here it is advancing on on yeah. bullets running at bullets you know like they say that's your job as the infantry return fire and in advance and um you know afterwards just everybody having a laugh over you know they were like it was like a mortal Com- a scene from mortal combat where he's get over here and he throws him throws him <laughs> across like he was on a line or something well i mean it's like it's true though you never know what's going to happen right you never know how you're going to respond to that yeah. situation and you know and it's it, it i know it's it's perfectly normal you know your different responses and mm-hmm. and how you react to things and unfortunately sometimes you do need to get that checkup from the neck up from somebody that you know can do yeah, that you for can you train so. up and down and sideways but when it really hits you know that's mm-hmm. that's that's when it matters and you never know yeah you never know well, awesome. So where can my audience go to find out more about you and the amazing work you're doing and pick up a copy of that book? So the easiest way is just damnthevalleybook.com. Okay. I have a website with all of the all of the social and then all of the like, hey, this is where you can get on Amazon or Barnes and Noble, bookshop.org. Uh, we actually sold out bookshop.org like almost right in the beginning. That's crazy. Um, Congratulations. <laughs> thanks i we man we almost uh at one point too is like amazon started shifting their order base and stuff it was the first month it was wild it was absolutely nuts um but yeah i mean you can go on there there's at damn the valley book across the board on social you got instagram facebook tiktok youtube um that channel's actually youtube's been growing pretty good just because i throw playlists out there with other news stuff and whatnot the first 50 pages of the book you can either go on uh, Google Books or I think Amazon has a preview too. Get into it. See if it's something that you like. I know that uh, after those pages is really when it starts picking up. Mm-hmm. But um, 
I know for some more on the civilian side, and it really wasn't written for the civilian side, but it's, it's a good window into what we really do over there because it was really meant for the guys. Sure. But um, I will warn you, it's a bit gritty. You know, it gets, it gets down and dirty into it. It is a view from the enlisted side, from the lower enlisted side that you don't normally get. And I've actually had one officer come to me and say, man, this needs to be required reading over at the academy because, um, and that's where some of it's headed. I mean, that was one of the comments in the reviews and the endorsements like uh, Sergeant Major uh, John Troxel, which was one of the senior enlisted advisors to the Joint Chiefs of Staff, you know, wrote me up something about it, some really nice words. But I saw that. In, in hearing where he was like, man, it really brought me to the battlefield. I'm like, if, if that guy said that, like mission accomplished, yeah. you know, because that's what I wanted to do in this. So I've had some some big people out there and some cool people get behind it. And it's it's been so rewarding. And really, quite honestly, is it, if you want to share your own stories, feel free to put something up and reach out. I have something on there called the Wall of Stories. And I've been encouraging other people like, hey, you know what? I will put your story out there, you know, as long as it's respectful and not something that's vulgar and mm -hmm. whatnot. I mean, it can be down and dirty and gritty like this story is, too. That's fine. You know, keep it respectful, though. Not any names on stuff like that. But submit that stuff. I'll put it up there. You know, I want you guys to share your stories. And I want you guys to talk about it. That's it's important, and it's important to the community, and it's important to to keep that stuff alive. You know, it is. It's you know, we don't want to lose sight of the history of the military, and it's just and the folks that served in the military, because I think that that is something that you know, with doing the World War II, um, you know, the taking their you know, recordings about them. And, and yeah. I think about losing Earl, you know, I still know what he did in world war two, but it's an invaluable source of information. Exactly. Right. You know, and uh, you know, and in some of those stories in that book, like there's one or two of them to where nobody would have known those stories. And I felt so fortunate to have these guys share this stuff. You mm -hmm. know, like one of the guys, um, certain, uh, spotted horse was actually one of them kind of that agent orange type situation he came down with lou gehrig's mm -hmm. um from exposure from some of the stuff that we had over that we came across over there in the area we're in but he's no longer with us unfortunately but really in this particular story i'm thinking of you know you can i can hear his voice mm. while reading it and it's yeah. just it's it's so nice to like know that he's still here right you know, in one way or another well, this has been amazing, and I love to give my guests the final words, so I will let you take us home. Oh, man. Um, well, I would say that, you know, I'm going to, I guess, end this one on that if you kind of feel like things are overwhelming or getting to you too much, some advice uh, that I kind of found invaluable was Norm Hooten, one of the Black Black Hawk Down guys that was a Delta Force mm -hmm. operator, he said, the situation can be pretty rough, but always remember to take that tactical pause. Take a breath. Look at the situation around you. It's never as bad as you really think it is. There's always a way out. Mm -hmm. It might seem terrible. There is always a way out. Instead of not seeing that, take that breath. Reach out to somebody close to you, you know, and move forward. You'll get through it. It's going to be okay. Amazing advice. Thank you so much. No. Thanks for having me, Dean. It's been great. 
You bet. Thanks for listening. In order to help others, please subscribe and share this show up with other veteran business owners in your network. If you want specific guidance, feel free to book a complimentary call with Dean at deanvandyke.com. Remember, you wouldn't go into battle alone, and now you don't have to in business.